Um, I've been, I want to do something different. A couple reasons. I've been um, having, a, having a lot of dreams lately about, can you guys see me? Can you see me? I'll turn like this. Um, I've been having a lot of uh, dreams and perceptions and ways that I hear from the Lord about turn it up about community. Can you turn it up? Honey, you need those hearing aids, babe. Yeah. Um, because I just recently started doing a marriage group. In fact, it's over now. But we had such a fan, we've had a fantastic time doing that marriage group, haven't we? And it really showed me and reiterated to me the power of um, small groups and the power of community and the power of transparency and vulnerability and about being, doing life together even in places where it's messy or places where we're all broken down, right? Because we've had some real vulnerability in our group, haven't we? But it's been so life-giving, I think. And so God's really been... Um, He's really been talking to me about that, about where change really happens and how, how is it long-lasting and how do we quickly go from one place to another. That's something I've experienced in Celebrate Recovery. Um, for those of you who have not done Celebrate Recovery, it's a small group support thing, system, I suppose, where you have kind of a curriculum and you follow through. But when you are in that group, there's something about being able to share your heart completely safely and just be like, here's where I'm at. In fact, I don't know if I love God. I might hate him. I'm not sure. Um, I hate this person. I'm really struggling with this. I, and, and, you, and you lay it out there in a place where people go, okay, thanks for sharing. And you move on. Like, there's something so freeing and so incredible with being able to share where you're really at. And the Holy Spirit comes down in the middle of your group and does all these things that you never saw coming. That, that he, he changes people, he ministers to people, he brings out truth just by you showing up and being real in who you are. Anybody who's been to that can testify, right? That's what Celebrate, Reco that's what Celebrate Recovery does. Well, the reality is I think that's the way we're supposed to do life together as Christians. I think that um, we've gotten into this tradition and paradigm and whatever of having a kind of what we call a didactic experience where someone teaches and we listen to it at the head level and we you know, maybe incorporate it and we walk away. But there's something about interacting with what you're hearing. There's something about responding that changes the way we think and feel and do life and actually changes us on the inside. So tonight we're going to actually talk and respond and and um, do this thing together, not at just a didactic level, but at a, oh wow, this is where I'm coming from level. Is that, can you guys handle that? Can you just try this experiment with me? Do you mind? So I started out, you know, who knows, I may go by this or not, who knows. Um, I started out by saying, um, Christianity is not a belief system, it is a belong system. We are created to, be, to belong to each other and to God. And, you know, I've been this big proponent of community. I love community. I think community is fantastic. Um, but I don't think community is enough. It doesn't go far enough in where God wants us to go. I mean, as a community, we can, the definition of community from, you know, the authority, the internet, is um, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. 
a feeling of fellowship with the others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. You know, we could say that Castle Rock is a community, right? We all live in one area. We're a community. Um, we could say we all, we all live in Colorado, at the community of Colorado, but it's not this, it doesn't necessarily go far enough to where I think God wants us to go. I think God wants us to go to the celebrate recovery level you guys, where we are part of a spiritual family that does life together and we get real with each other. And we're safe and vulnerable enough to say, you know, I don't know about this God thing. What are you talking about, spiritual family? What does that mean? I've never felt that. I struggle with my dad. I've got this abuse issue in my past. I've got these things that are holding me back from the fullness of God. I think we're supposed to go beyond being a community to a spiritual family. I really think that's where God wants us to go. Um, it's great to be a community. A community it can be supportive, it can bring incredible life, but it's not enough. And the reason it's not enough is because there's something particular about a spiritual family that um, besides the idea of family, it's, it's who God is to us. You know, in the Old Testament, um, Israel was a good example of a community. They were the children of God. They were the children of Jacob, descendants of Jacob. But very few did they talk about God as father. He was their king. He was their God. He, said, he brought them out of Egypt and said, I'm going to bring you to the mountain, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And he called Israel to be a worshiping um, nation. They were the firstborn of all nations, and they were to worship God on the mountain, which is fantastic. But the name Father, God referred to as Father in the Old Testament, was used 15 times. Not very many times. And so this concept of fatherhood in the Old Testament is not very prevalent. It's more kingship, lordship, things like that. Those are all fine things, right? However, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus uses Father more than any other word for God. Any other word for God is the word Father. 66 times in the synaptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John uses it 100 times. Just in the Gospels, the word is Father and Abba. Abba is the intimate word for Father. So there's a shift, there's a paradigm shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It doesn't mean... That's, it wasn't there in the Old Testament, but now it's beginning to be revealed the way that we're supposed to relate to God, right? We're supposed to relate to him as a father. And I don't know about you, but I think one of the reasons we have a hard time relating to God as a father is because we have father issues, human father issues. Does that resonate with any of you guys? Um, did you guys ever see that um, show, This Is Us? Have you all watched it? So if I talk about it, I'm not going to spoil it. Unless you talk about last Tuesday's episode. No, no, no. I won't do that. <laughs> Chris and I watched that movie, um, or the show This Is Us, and we love it because we love the Father in that show. And those of you who watch it, I'm sorry, in the first season he's, you find out he was killed while they were teenagers, and you're just crushed. It's like at the very end of the first season, right? Where you find out that these, it's a story about triplets, about a couple that had triplets, and one of the boys died, and they adopted another 
another child into their family. So now they have these three triplets that are doing life together. And they're all different. They all have their own issues. But one thing that's really hard for them is they miss their dad, right? And their dad was a really good dad. He wasn't um, absent. He had his issues. He had some of his, he had some problems. But he was a really good dad. And I said to Chris, I said, I love that this show is showing us a model of fatherhood that we can really get behind, right? Because we have really suffered in our culture, I think, with not being able to relate to God because we can't relate to our own father. And we misunderstand God and we don't see him as somebody who's got the double portion blessing ready for us. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, you guys. I want to talk about us being deliberate about realigning our father figure, our father issues, our father model, and then figuring out how we can minister to each other in that. All right, is that fair? Can you guys get on board with that? You know, in, um, <laughs> I was listening to, is it um, Jonathan Helser? Is that his name? Yeah. He said something really interesting. He said, the more that heaven comes to, to earth, the more it looks like a spiritual family. So the more we draw heaven to earth, the more heaven comes down, that is played out in being a spiritual family. So I'm like, let's do it, man. Let's play this out. Let's draw heaven to earth by becoming more and more intimate and vulnerable with each other. Let's just try. I want to talk about um, adoption. You know, in the New Testament, it talks about God adopting us. In Ephesians 1.5, it says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. I'm going to read this little um, piece from Francis Lyell. He wrote a book called Slaves, Citizens, and Son. And you realize that adoption is not really a concept in the Old Testament. Adoption is a New Testament concept because again this is where family is coming in so when paul talks about this he's using roman um, a roman mindset for adoption it's different than what you think the reason for legal adoption was never for the sake of the child lyle writes children could always be fostered but adoption was to preserve the family the Roman household was a worshiping unit, and it needed a male priest at its head to offer prayers and sacrifices to the family gods. Worshiping families were the building blocks of Roman society. In adoption, the adoptee got a new identity. His old obligations and debts were wiped out, and his new obligations were assumed. From the standpoint of the family religion, the adoptee became the same person as the adopter. There's also the matter of inheritance. In modern law, we do not become heirs until someone dies, though we may be heirs presumptive. Paul's metaphor fails in modern law because we can't be God's heirs without God's death. But in Roman law, all the members of a family held their property jointly with the family. Youth were not automatically emancipated at age 21 and thus given control over their own property. All children of any age, natural or adopted, were already heirs while their father lived and they had joint control of their property. This is the legal background to Paul saying that if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So I want you to just think about that for a second, you guys. So Christ, God called us to be co-heirs, to be heirs in his family so that we could um, have everything that he has together with everybody. 
It's an incredible concept if you can get a hold of it. All that God has is ours. We're co-heirs. We're adopted into his family. And it goes even more than that. It's more than just an inheritance issue. It's a firstborn issue. Do you guys know anything about firstborn, the whole firstborn thing in the Bible? Um, you remember... Um, you remember when the Israelites were in Egypt and God said, Pharaoh, let my, let my people go. I mean, if you don't, finally, after 10 plagues, I'm going to kill your firstborn. Well, firstborn is a big deal in the Bible. Firstborn had two meanings. It meant either that you were seriously the first one born or it meant you were the favored one. You're the one that has favor. You're the one that I love the most. You're the one that I choose right? So firstborn is used throughout the Bible to say Israel was the firstborn of the nations. Then you've got firstborn when um, God kills the firstborn children in Egypt. The firstborn receives a double portion. It's called the birthright blessing. And it's traditionally the first son in the, in the, pers- in the family is considered the firstborn, except for, are you ready for this? Abraham's firstborn son, Ishmael, did not receive the birthright. Isaac did. Isaac's firstborn son, Esau, did not receive the birthright. Jacob did. Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben, did not receive the birthright. Joseph did. Joseph's firstborn son, Manasseh, did not receive the birthright. Ephraim did. When the tribes were numbered, God declared the Levites to be the firstborn of Israel. David was the eighth son of Jesse, and he was anointed as firstborn going on? Why is God not following his own rules? What's going on there? Why was Isaac chosen over Ishmael? Isaac was chosen because he was the son of promise. Why was Jacob chosen over Esau? Jacob was the prophesied son through Rebekah. Why was Joseph chosen over Reuben? Joseph was the favored son of Jacob because of his love for Rachel. Why was Ephraim chosen over Manasseh? Ephraim was the adopted son elevated to being a son of Israel. Why was Levi chosen over the other tribes? Because Levi was the priesthood that drew close to God. Why was David chosen? Because he was a man after God's own heart. See, here's the thing. The blessing of the firstborn, which is a double portion more than anyone else, doesn't have to do with what you've done, where you've come from, who you were born to, how successful you are. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do everything with God and who God says you are. It has to do with God's promises, his prophecies, his choices, his adoption, and about those who draw close to him. So our adoption into, the spiritual, into our spiritual family, when we become adopted and he becomes our spiritual father, it's his desire to say, I'm going to adopt you to be my firstborn. You're going to be a firstborn unto me, and I'm going to give you a double portion because that's what I do for the firstborn in my family. It says in Zechariah, because of the, I can't read, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. Do you remember double for your trouble? Double for your trouble. The thing is, we have to cooperate in order to take hold of our blessing. It's there for us. We've been legally adopted. We have, we have the right to the, the firstborn, uh, firstborn blessing, the double portion, 
but we have to cooperate. There's things that we need to do to cooperate with the Lord to grab hold of it. The first one is what we did this, this right before now, is worship. Do you know that the word worship in the Greek and the Hebrew, almost did it tonight, the word worship in the, in the Greek and Hebrew mean to press your face on the ground. It's to be on your knees and press your face on the ground. That's what worship means. And you know what that's a picture of? That's a picture of your head going low and your heart coming higher. Because here's the reality, you guys. We don't remember that we're adopted sons and we get a double portion because we forget who we are. We forget that we're children that have been adopted. And so when we worship, we remember who God is. And he begins to tell us, you're my beloved children. You're the people, you're who I've chosen. I've got a plan and a purpose and a destiny. Do you remember? Do you remember I've adopted you? I've called you forward. And we have to worship and get our head low and our heart high so that we remember who he is. And here's a radical thought, you guys. The gospel, are you ready for this? It's going to blow you away. The gospel is not a formula, it's a father. The gospel is not a formula, it's a father. Now, we think of the gospel as being Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross, but I want to tell you, it starts with who God is, and it starts with his heart for us. Jesus wouldn't have happened if God's heart wasn't for us and he didn't want to call us into adoption. The gospel is about the father's heart of love for us more than anything. And if we're going to be healed and made whole and go forward and participate in our double portion, we have got to get a hold of that. We've got to get a hold of who God really is, not who we see him in our dad, not who we see him in the world, not what the enemy tells us. We have got to get a hold of who he really is. Amen. Oh, man. Okay. The Levites were chosen when, after Israel became a country, and they, and they took the promised land. It used to be that um, you had to redeem the firstborn. Every time you had a son, you had to go, and you had to redeem the first son, because that was, that was what God did in Egypt. It was to commemorate that, that he saved the firstborn sons in Egypt. So from then on, they would redeem the firstborn of their animals and the firstborn of their children. And what God did is he chose the Levites. He said, I'm going to choose this tribe, the Levites, to stand in your place so that you don't have to redeem every single um, person. The Levites are going to do that work. They're going to be the redemption for you. And he chose the Levites because the Levites drew close to the Lord. And he says, so I'm going to choose you for myself. And that's what we need to do is we have to draw close to the Lord. Not only are we going to worship the Lord and we're going to get our heart, our head low and our heart high, we have to choose the Lord every day if we want to participate in what he's got for us. The double blessing is there for us. The firstborn blessing exists for us, but we have to draw close to the Lord to see it, to touch it, and to obtain it. Does that make sense? This is a big one. You know, I think Paul says this. Now, since you've been adopted, why would you go back to being a slave? Why would you revert back to being a slave? You've been adopted into the family of God. Why would you therefore now go back to being a slave? That's a really big deal. Has anyone here been raised in a poverty mentality, 
or a victim mentality? What does that feel like? Because the world, the, the, the cards are stacked against you, right? And, the, and you can't get ahead, right? Nathan, same thing? Were you going to say something? If God says we're adopted sons and we, have, we are co-heirs with him, not, not just when we get to heaven, but today, why then would we participate with a slavery spirit or a poverty spirit or the idea of being slaves? We have to step out of the spirit of poverty and the spirit of slavery and come into agreement with our adoption as sons. Mary, are you with me? Okay, because it doesn't look like it. <laughs> You're with me? Okay. With adoption, something that we learned when we adopted Abby mm-hmm. is in the Jewish faith, mm-hmm. they cannot, once you're adopted, mm-hmm. you can disown your own children. But not your adopted. adopted. Yep. Disown yep. Your adopted mm-hmm. So we are there in, with that inheritance forever. That's the, that's the same in the Roman um, custom, too. You could disown a natural-born child, but never an adopted one. And really, when Paul's talking about adoption, he's looking at the Roman custom of doing that. And um, every, almost every single person that was adopted in the Roman culture was adopted to be the firstborn. So they were adopted to get all the benefits of being a firstborn child. So when you think about us as being adopted, we were adopted to be the firstborn and to receive all that God has for us in those blessings. The other one, and this is kind of a really hard one, is we have to obey God even when we don't want to. Hello? Anybody? Um, you know, I, for a long time, the Lord had been telling me to do that marriage class. You know, and I'm like, okay, you know, will anyone come? Blah, blah, blah. And then people showed up, and we had a great time. And it was fantastic, and it was life-giving, and it was fantastic. And I was like, oh, Lord, why, you know, you're so good that when I do obey and I do what I'm supposed to do, you give me great pleasure in doing it, you know? But sometimes we have to do things that are really hard that we don't want to do, like Jesus, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, my father, if you can take this away from me, please do it. I don't want to do this, but not my will be done, your will be done. And he approached him as a son. He said, daddy, please, I don't want to do this. But if you want me to do it, if, it can't, if nothing else can happen, I'm going to do it. And do you know what? We exist, we're here in the spiritual family because of Jesus' obedience. And he had, right, he had free will, he didn't, he wasn't, that was his choice and his will to do that. You know what, you guys, we have the same choice to obey God, even when we don't see what that outcome is going to be. We have the choice to obey God and say, I'm going to choose God in this because I believe his heart for me is good I believe that he's a good father, and I'm going to obey him even when I don't feel like it. And you know what? Wait and see what's going to happen from that obedience. That is what's going to open up the doors for blessing and the double portion. Because when we obey, even when we don't understand or see, just like Jesus, or when it looks real, real hard, we don't know what's on the other side of that obedience. But we can trust that God knows what's on the other side. Am I right? So what I want to ask you guys is this. Is there any 
Is there any area of your life where you struggle with, I want to ask the question, with understanding who God is as a father, as a good father? Or um, is there any way that you struggle with saying, I'm not good enough to have a double portion or to have, be blessed? I don't understand that whole adoption thing. I don't understand why some people have a blessing and I don't have a blessing. I feel like I'm left behind. I feel like I'm, got a, uh, I'm a, in, enmeshed or stuck in a poverty mentality. Do any of you guys feel that way? This is the time to speak up. Everybody's fine. Nobody has any problems. Everybody's, everyone's totally mature. They don't have any questions about the Lord. You don't have any questions or you have all those questions? So what were the questions again? So what were the questions again? Okay. God is being good. It's hard to see God as being good. Somebody help me out here. What do you think? Is God good? What about when we don't see him as being good? How do we, how do we deal with that? How do you handle that? Sometimes you have to wait to look back and see how he's good where we didn't see it. Yeah, but it still doesn't help when you're the one crying right there in that moment. But that's like, thank you. Exactly what Carolina and Abby, Abby, bingo. And she just nailed it on the head. It's kind of like about wrestling, you know, he went out on the mat to wrestle, and the father figure that was there, you wanted to go either go wrestle for him or, or pull him off, but no, he stepped on the mat, and he was, he, you know, he had to go through the whole situation, and sometimes uh, that was the impression, because, you know, if we're going to grow and move forward, we have to go through those hard times. So sometimes maybe God allows us to go through painful things because he's trying to do something in our character or trying to teach us something? But I also think that as we see God do amazing things in our life that don't look good when they're happening, we learn to trust him mm. so that the next time something happens that really looks awful, we know that God's going to redeem it. And so we aren't as freaked out. And then the next time, we're even a little less freaked out. And so feels like as I get older, I get much less freaked out about crappy stuff than I used to, and I've had some crappy stuff in my life. Yeah, yeah. And God has brought me through it all. Yeah. Through it all. So I trust him. Yeah. It comes down to, do you trust him, or do you not trust him? I mean, talk about a choice. That's mm -hmm. a choice. Mm -hmm. Do I trust him? Do I not trust him? Mm -hmm. And you never go wrong by trusting him. Mm -hmm. I think, too, um, for me, sometimes disengaging my head and trying to engage with my heart or my right brain or whatever you want to call it um, allows me to um, bypass my worry and fear. Do you know what I mean? I've always had head knowledge. Yeah. Knowledge Struggle with. Yeah. Give me some, Carla, contribute to this, please. And 
I don't feel good right now, and mm-hmm. I don't like this, but I do love you. Mm-hmm. And I know at my core that you loved me so much that you sent your only son to this earth just because of love. Mm-hmm. Just because of love. And I just keep going back to what we sang tonight. Because he loved us so much. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I just keep focusing on that. And like, if I can't see anything in my natural situation, I have to lean on the truth. Yeah. Yeah, kind of goes back to um, who's driving your car. Are your emotions driving your car or, you know, what's driving your car? I mean, we can have our fear and anxiety, but at the end of the day, what is the truth in our life, right? Yeah. There's, this, um, there's this example of, um, and I think this is where community comes in, because I, I think what we do in a spiritual family is we say, hey, I'm really struggling in this area. I don't see God as good in the, in the land of the living, and I'm having some troubles here. This one cool thing about our marriage group, we've got some people in there that are like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if God's really real <laughs> or whatever, or I haven't seen him in a long, long time. You know, and we're like, oh yeah, we get that. Totally been there. We totally get that. And I think that when people are going through stuff, we have to be like, yeah, been there, done that. Totally know what you're feeling. Well, let me pray for you. Let me help you. Let me be with you. There's a, um, an example that I was just reading about, you know, there's the redwoods in California. Have you seen those before? Going to the redwoods? Well, the biggest tree in the world is in California. It's called, um, called what? Do you know it? Oh, okay. Thank you, John. Um, <clears throat> the, one of the largest trees in the world is called General Sherman, and it's 275 feet tall, 25 feet in diameter, and 2,500 years old. That's the redwoods in California. And you know the redwoods, you know most um, trees, like the big pine trees, they have a big taproot. Do you know what a taproot is? Mm-hmm. Where it goes down real, real deep. It's almost the depth of the tree, right? And it prevents it from being blown over. Well, these huge, huge, huge redwood trees don't have a taproot. Their roots go down 6 to 12 feet deep. That's as far as they go. And the way they stay upright is they grow really cro- close together. And their roots inter- intertwine so they hold each other up. When one is being tossed around, the other ones hold it up because they're really close. And they also share nutrients, so they kind of feed each other. And only redwood trees can hold redwood trees up. Isn't that kind of cool? And I think in a spiritual family, our roots have to be like this. We have to be intertwined in each other's life so that we can be like, hey, let me give you something, what I got today. I got a lot of faith today. I'm going to give it to you. Whatever. You know, and we're like, how am I going to be part of a spiritual family where I show the heart of the father to, the, to my siblings? You're my siblings. How do we do this thing called life together in a real way, in a vulnerable way, not in a head knowledge way? Does that make sense, you guys? What about any of the rest of you guys? You guys all doing perfectly fine, have no issues, and are, are just great? 
Or do you, have some, do you struggle with, hey, why am I not being blessed? Why do I not understand God in this way? That's a good question. Yeah. Answer her fear in that is just like really wearing on me. Yeah, that's a really good question. How come God shows up sometimes and not other times? And if our maybe our I won't say identity, but maybe our um, comfort level is on the line because we're called to pray for somebody, but we don't really know if they're going to get healed, or we don't really know if the situation is going to change. Do we keep praying for them, or do we just give up? I mean, what do we do? Why do we keep praying for them, Bob? Had knowledge. But I was saved to a God who was never satisfied. Mm. And I had to come to the end of that, and it had to die a religious death before I could even begin to emerge into some kind of relationship and even think for a minute that he really loved me. I thought he might put up with me, <laughs> but loving me was another question altogether. So there's, there's a lot of different questions here. So all my life I've struggled with that father image. And, uh, and I've grown in that mostly through failure. What do you mean? Like coming to an end of myself in an area and him showing up anyway and being there with me in a tender way. Being his loving kindness and his, his gentleness with me when I had nothing left. And I'd done everything I could to please him and that wasn't what he was after, and those kind of things. So that's stuff I shared with Carla on her radio program. Those are my biggest struggles. And so, I don't know, I do a lot of counseling. I have to meet with a lot of people and talk to them. These are the same questions everybody has. And so all we can do, we, we come like and celebrate recovery. Well, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna go back and fish? Are you gonna believe and just have faith in this thing? Because if that's all you got left, you're gonna put all your eggs in that basket, right? I'm, I'm determined, this is the way I'm going. Right. I don't have the answers, but I've gotta walk this out and find out. Right. And I do that by being persistent and right. continuing and, right. and turning to someone else and saying, hey, tell me again that story that was so good about God. Right. Because I want to I feed off of that. Right. You know? Right. I hear all the time with these girls that are with, with Carla and Amy when they're material, they're talking about their experience, and these girls just glom onto that mm -hmm. because they want to believe it's true. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. No, I love that. That's good, Bob. I think, I think that's really powerful because like with redwood trees if one's getting blown over the other people have to hold it up 
right? If we're going through a struggle in our life, the part of being part of a spiritual family, not just a community, but a spiritual family saying, yeah, let me tell you what God's done in my life. Because what he's done in my life, he can do in your life. And he wants to do in your life. But like Sharon says, or um, Nathan, there are times when we don't know what God's doing. We don't know what God's doing or why he's allowing a, a situation to happen. Why are you allowing the situation to happen? And sometimes, like I know I have a situation in my life where I just have to surrender it. I just have to say, God, this is real painful to me, and I understand, but I just have to surrender it to you because you're better than I am in fixing this situation. And it's real hard. I want to be in control of everything. I'm the boss. <laughs> I want to be in control of what's going on because I want the picket white fence in my life, right? I want everything to be neat and tidy. There shouldn't be any struggles in the Christian life. But all the characters in the Bible were like that. Mm-hmm. Neat and tidy or not neat and tidy? Oh, Struggle, right. yeah. <laughs> all of them. Yeah. They all had struggles. Yeah. And he didn't always come through right then. Yeah. And it's. I think also that God does not ask us to be responsible for his goodness. That if he comes or doesn't come, it's not our deal, it's his deal. Yeah. It's part of his sovereignty, right. part of his choice. And sometimes we don't always see what's going on because we only see from our small thing. Bob always used to say God's multitasking like crazy. So he may be doing something here and a thousand things over here that we don't have the vision to see in the moment. That's where it comes to trusting God and saying, God, I'm going to trust you that I don't see the whole picture right now, but you've got it in your hands. It's like he's in the control tower. He is the control tower. And we're all these little planes flying around. And we don't see everything that's going on and what he's doing with this one or that one. Mm-hmm. But we obey him, mm-hmm. the instructions, because we believe he's going to have our safety mm-hmm. in his heart. He does it. Mm-hmm. And so even though we can't see the whole picture, his ways are higher than our ways. Mm-hmm. And we just have to trust that he's working it out. He's working it out for everybody. Yeah, not just us, right? Not everybody. And we can't yeah. see it. We can't see all of it. That's real hard, though, sometimes, Janet. You know? Well, <laughs> it requires a lot of faith and trust mm-hmm. to get to the point where you can really depend on that. Mm-hmm. Rest yeah. in yeah, and I think that's where we where each other comes in is where we can we can be there for each other and say, man, I'm struggling with trusting God right now. Will you please pray for me? Can you tell me how He came through for you? Can you give me an example? Can you minister? And we do that for everybody, right? I'm gonna wrap it up for us, you guys. Um, are there any prayer requests? How can I pray for you? How can we pray for you right now if you're struggling in an area of anxiety or fear or depending on the Lord or wondering where your blessing is? Where's my blessing? I need my blessing. Does anybody have that? Wonder where their blessing's at. How come I'm stuck here? How come I haven't gone any further? I love the Lord. Why is he not showing up for me? Me and Sharon were just having a conversation before we started today about, I know particular promises that the Lord's made to her years ago that we've been believing and saying for me that she's been believing God for me. And that's one of those examples on, you know, if I'm like, ugh, I don't believe anymore, Sharon, I'll be like, I still believe for you. Right, right. How many people listen to Carla's, um, have heard her on the radio? How many believe that she is fantastic on the radio? Let's just all stand and validate her right now that you're fantastic on that radio. That's what we're... Of course. 
that's a given. But my point is, like we talk about Carla, sometimes people see in us what other, we can't see in ourselves. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to let all of us say that to you. That, that radio show and what you do on the radio is what God has called for you to do. our history together. You know, things that you know to do, but that emotion piece, right? Yeah. I mean, you said last week, you know, you have to talk to your soul. That was like an aha moment. Oh, you know, that I couldn't wait to share that with people. And I was like telling my best friend about this. And she's like, oh my God, that's life-giving. I'm like, it was, right? <laughs> but, you know, that's what I, to tie it all in, that's definitely something in the course of this journey that, you know, yeah. you definitely take there. Okay. Anybody else? I want to read a verse. From yeah, Brooklyn. go for it. This, I just posted this this week. It's Romans 9. And this is, this is the Passion Translation, but Paul's speaking to the Roman people. He, he says, to those who were rejected and not my people, I will say to them, you are mine. Mm-hmm. And to those who were unloved, I will say, you are my darling. And in the place where they were told, you are nobody, this will be the very place where they will be renamed children of the living God. Oh, that's good, wow. Isn't that good? That's so what good. What is that, Sandbox? That's Romans 9, 23 and 26. In Passion. And here's what's good about that. My nephew, who's an atheist, <coughs> read that <laughs> and said, I suppose by that definition, and we're talking about orphans, I am an orphan. He said, I just never thought of that. Mm-hmm. And I had a chance to share with him about the adoption thing. Yeah. Who knows if it took or not, but yeah. He's, he was my brother who just passed away, his son. He was really hurting, I guess, yeah. about his dad. Yeah. It was a good picture of the father's love. Yeah. Anybody else struggling with any of this or have a- any comments at all? Yes, sir. Right. You know, so when that so that expectation 
application changes, then I think, for me, my prayers change. Because I come with a different expectation when I'm going to heal, and my prayer for someone to be healed, that I'm going to watch and expect yeah. that something miraculous is going to happen. Yeah. When, when I get a feeling in a, in a room and the, it, it, it's, the, the promise is that the Holy Spirit is here, I'm looking yeah. for something that, you know, that expectation has changed. And then it, it comes to maturity then, where I don't have to rely on, like, I have to hear another testimony or, or mm-hmm. that. Because you've gone to the next level. Yeah. yeah. Because there's so much power in him. But I'm, I'm now talking about a relationship with him where, you know, everything that I didn't get from my earthly father, I now realize I get, can get a hundred times, a hundredfold from God. So that's, you know, that maturity level. And, and that, that comes out of community. Yeah. Because that somebody could be going through exactly what you went through and they can even pinpoint the word that told them that here's where God comes through. And if it reminds you, by all means, remind each other every day that these promises are true. And when you stand on those, so much of that other stuff, it doesn't mean it's all bull cherry. But you know God's promises are still God's promises. Yeah. And that doesn't change. And I think that feeds. I mean, when we're in community, we gather and come into agreement with others and the truth of what God says mm-hmm. in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And there's power in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, anybody else have a comment? Another tree that comes to mind here. that it can grow. Oh, that's cool. So it actually transforms its environment so it can survive and, and thrive. That is really cool. Anybody else? Well, I think that um, history of with community, uh, Sharon kind of touched on it, and uh, Sharon kind of touched on it, um, that roots that we have grown, we may have moved on from somewhere or something to see things change, and God calls us to new things. But there are certain places and communities that we have been in previously where we had really good roots and those don't just get dug up and you know mm-hmm. um, have no purpose because the Lord tells us to recount his goodness. Mm-hmm. I mean one thing that I do is I have a friend who um, witnessed one of my kids get saved and I call her and I say tell me because I wasn't there I'm not seeing any fruit of that right now, and that's real hard. And I call her, and I said, will you just tell me that story one more time? (laughs) Tell me that story. Recount that for me, because when I hear it, it builds my faith. And so I think that we don't have to, um, although we need to be in community all the time, we can also go back. Pull back, yeah, yeah. That we can pull from, from long ago in places where we saw his 
That's really good, Amy. And we have to hold each other up. Yeah, that's really, really good. Awesome, you guys. Thanks for doing my experiment with me.